So we have been exploring how the work of Lent sometimes gets a little confused. We think of it as ours to earn back God's love lost. But actually, it is Jesus's work to show us how God longs to love even while overcoming all the ways we might try to bind up or restrict God's love from others or from ourselves. So today we're going to meet an early preacher of Jesus' gospel, one who Jesus' first followers would not expect. She, because the first preachers in John are almost always women, though they're not called preachers, will meet Jesus at the well of a Samaritan town. If you aren't clear on the Samaritans, they are the folks who are excluded and considered unclean by Jewish society at the time. It's an ethnic and religious group, and it is a bit of a family feud. The Samaritans and the Jews were once actually one, but after the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria, they were separated. The Samaritans stayed behind, and many of the Israelites were deported. With the Samaritans chose, also besides staying, they chose to intermarry with other groups, which was considered unacceptable for Jewish folk at the time. They began to recognize holy sites beyond Jerusalem, centering worship on a mountain called Gerizim rather than the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But really, these are folks that used to be one. And we sometimes know if you've ever had a really good old-fashioned family squabble, the folks that we are closest to are often the folks that we can have the most intense conflicts with. Any good meeting of souls will be between at least two people in need, and it will be a story of how those needs are provided for. So today, Jesus needs water. Our Samaritan woman needs, well, we're not quite sure yet, so these two characters, related but divided, meet across a well from one another. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sishar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out of his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, <clears throat> a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, 
Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What have you said is true? The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he and the one who is speaking to you. The Gospel of John starts off talking about light, if you remember Christmas Eve. And it's worth it to notice throughout what happens in the light versus what doesn't happen in the light. Last week, if you were here, Nicodemus would only meet with Jesus under cover of night, uncertain and uncommitted. The Samaritan woman meets Jesus at high noon for all the world to see. Yes, she is a Samaritan. Yes, she is a woman. Jesus is not supposed to ask her for anything, much less a drink of water. He's not supposed to talk to her according to the rules of society. But her presence in the full light of the midday sun in the Gospel of John tells us that she will see Jesus clearly, and he will see her. And it will say even more. It was and is in much the world a gendered task for women to collect the water that will be needed in a household each day. To make that hard work more comfortable, though, the time to go get water was and is at dawn and at dusk when the sun is low, right? Anybody who's ever spent any time down south, when do you want to do things? In the morning and the evening, not in the middle of the day. That our Samaritan woman is going to get water at noon lets us know that she is excluded from the community around her even by her fellow Samaritan women. Because they would have all gone together in the morning. She must go every day in the heat of noon to haul up what she needs to live, reminded that she is alone. For many of us, we cannot imagine what that feels like. We have no bucket And the well is deep. 
So what has happened to her? Jesus, in the light of day, sees her clearly, and he says, Go call your husband. And she says just as plainly, I have no husband. Now, I do not want us to get this twisted because it has been twisted for centuries. Nowhere in this text does Jesus intimate or mention sin or judgment. Though this text has often been read as one in which those things happen. So oftentimes, the story of this woman has been told as her being in some way promiscuous, and that's how she has had five husbands. A reminder to us that women in Jesus' time had almost no control over their marriage lives. For our protagonist to have been married five times means that she has been touched by an abundance of grief or abuse. Either the husbands have died or they have divorced and abandoned her, as was their right but not hers. The man she lives with is not her husband because he's likely a relation of one of the dead husbands required to care for her under the practices of the time. Above all, then, it seems like she is isolated from her community because no one dares to come near her. So great is the grief of her life that she is a curse, a cautionary tale, a symbol of the precariousness of life who must be shunned, avoided, left to her own lonely and sun-drenched world. Every day she is thirsty and every day she must rehearse again how alone she is as she goes to the well. And here she has met a man and a Jew and another person who points to her pain and how she must go every day to that same well separated and divided from others. The woman at the well is an expert. She sounds like a theologian to listen to her today, right? She is an expert on what separates her. Her gender, her ethnic belonging, her religion, her grief, her loss. Of course she is an expert. Those who have been cast to the other side of the walls of what is acceptable or appropriate or normal or welcome can always perfectly describe the topography of those borders. She is a professional at navigating the challenge of her own exclusion, working each day to draw up the water that will sustain her. She looks at Jesus and at us with all our well-intentioned talk. We have no bucket, and the well is deep. I have been thinking of her, this Samaritan woman, this week partly through the lens of the Reverend Dr. Pauli Murray, who you may or may not have heard of. Pauli Murray was an activist, a lawyer, and eventually an Episcopal priest. She walked and worked across all the lines of division that we still struggle with today. She went over and over again to a well of energy and commitment I cannot imagine as she confronted Jim Crow in her time, but also what she called Jane Crow. 
because she faced the multifaceted exclusions of our society as a woman and as a black woman. And now we can say as a black woman who loved women. And we know now as a person who struggled with a gender identity that she could not claim for herself. She is one of the first saints of the LGBTQ community. If you want to get to know her better, this is, you know, modern day preachers. We have to cite our sources, by which I mean to say, you can go stream a documentary about her on Amazon Prime. It's pretty good. My name is Polly Murray. Murray was in many ways an unstoppable force. When denied access to educational opportunities, she wrote and protested and trained and argued. It is now acknowledged that when Brown versus Board of Education was written as a brief, it was a legal paper of Murray's when she was a law student that formed the basis of the argument to use the 13th and 14th Amendments to win that case. Though we now have our first black woman Supreme Court justice, Murray was actually the first nominee. She nominated herself, writing to Richard Nixon in 1971 that she was available for the job. In 1970, she wrote, If anyone should ask a Negro woman in America what has been her greatest achievement, her honest answer would be, I survived. We have no bucket, and the well is deep. Of course, she did survive, and more. She paved the way for so many, even as many are just beginning to learn about her work. And indeed, late in her life, she came to be a priest in the Episcopal Church. And so she once wrote, To be a Christian, to follow Jesus Christ, means to be self-giving, pouring out love upon others even when they are unlovely and unlovable. And this is the hardest part of our faith. We were not made to live alone. We were made to live in community. When we respond with resentment... The greatest damage is not what we do to others, but what we do to ourselves by cutting off ourselves from God's love, by alienating ourselves from a sense of community, and by winding up feeling lost and alone. Thanks be to God, she is right, both in the danger of binding up God's love behind our own divisions and in the offer that Jesus makes at the well. Jesus invites this woman and all of us to share in living water. He tells her and us that the time has arrived when the distinctions of who will worship at the Temple Mount versus Mount Gerizim will disappear, that God is near enough to cross all that divides us. Samaritans, Jews, men, women. We can add all of the different facets of our lives today. He actually tells her when she asks if he is the Messiah, our translation says, I am he. In Greek, he actually says, I am. In other words, this is an exact mirror of the burning bush and Moses encountering one another. I am the one who is, he says to her. 
He offers that living water, that which sustains us, freely giving, and which we will no longer have to struggle and labor for, no longer require those who have been cast out to pull up their own water. But living water will be shared for all. Across all those deep wells of division and distrust of one another, when we meet across these wells so deep and intractable and meet each other thirsty, as Jesus and the Samaritan woman do, seeking the flourishing of all, something happens. So we should be ever aware of those who are being asked to haul their own water in our society. Those who must labor to survive in the face of exclusion and exile. In the past weeks, we have seen laws out of states like Florida and Tennessee restricting the rights of LGBTQ people, outlawing drag as a practice. These are places and communities that have been deep wells of water for people who have been too long excluded in our society. And we must stand up as one to say, there is living water for all. We will not be divided. And we will not force others to labor for what will sustain them. We should be mindful of the invitation of Lilla Watson, the indigenous Australian woman and activist who said, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Indeed, everyone is refreshed in this story. The woman at the well is, indeed, sustained by her realization of Jesus, and she becomes a preacher of his. Many in the town are converted as the story goes on. You can read the rest. Finally today, I want to take a moment to give thanks for all the women who have carried water for others, even when it has been unjust or unfair to require them to do so. I want to give thanks for all the women who have shared living water with each of us and all of us, freeing us from systems of oppression. Maybe especially today, I want to give thanks for Jan Schrock. Jan devoted her life to easing people's access to those things that gave them life, from livestock to water to education to simple human friendship. In her living, she bore witness to a Jesus that invited and invites us still to pour out love for one another. Too many wells are far too deep, friends. There is too much that excludes. There is far too much that separates us. So let us devote ourselves each day to following in the way of the one who has come to share living water with all, overflowing so that none may thirst. Amen.